Welcome to the Global Missions Inc. podcast. Today's episode features Brandon Snoke. It is such a wonderful thing. The church is going to be the church. God has something in mind for the church. Yes. He started it and he's not going to stop. Right. We can worry about all the things in the world. We can worry about the war going on in Ukraine. We can worry about our nation, our politicians. We can worry about our schools. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen. One thing we can be sure of, the church is going to be the church. Amen. And, and it's, and it's going to be okay. God has a plan. Yes. There's a, uh, there was a story about General Grant. He had spent all night preparing his troops for battle and getting them positioned and getting them everything they needed for battle the next morning. And he was so exhausted. And then he went and laid under a tree and took a nap. And one of his aides came to him and woke him up and said, General Grant, your right flank has been overrun by the enemy. There's massive casualties and they're running from the enemy. And he, he shook off his slumber and he thought for a minute and he said, that can't be. And he fell back to sleep. <laughs> he, had, he had such confidence that he prepared his, his army for the battle. He knew it was a, a false statement. It was, a, it was a mistake and that everything was okay. God, with everything going on in the world, God has something that we can have confidence that God is going to complete his plan. Amen. The things that God has in mind. Um, we, uh, not, we can't stop. No man can't stop it. Um, that God has something beautiful in mind for the church, the bride of Christ. And, and it is, uh, and there's evidence when you see the, the many miles travel and the, the difficulties getting here to, to gather together with the saints, to, yeah. to be in the presence of God. We can be in the presence of God in our own living room, yeah. but there's something precious about yes. gathering together with the different, right. the different people. And then it's part of God's plan. And it's part of the evidence that mm-hmm. God's church is going to be the church. Yeah. And we are, but nevertheless, we have, we have work to do, don't we? And uh, I know I have work to do. Um, there are things that affect our lives. Uh, and what I'm going to talk to today, about today, is a little bit about uh, something that actually Nick brought up, was talking about. I was afraid he's going to steal my thunder. But bless his heart, he, he left a little bit for me. But contentment. <laughs> Being content, and the world seems to be uh, lacking contentment, lacking happiness. We're searching everywhere for some type of contentment, and uh, you know they're they're going into a, a perversions to try to find contentment and yeah. some type of peace, and it's leading in the wrong direction. There was actually a study, a very extensive study done, on what could can bring about contentment. And it was an expensive study. Uh, and they, the researcher looked into topics such as wealth, laughter, alcohol, drugs, being foolish, 
labor, working, building things, retail therapy, buying things, farming, livestock. And he concluded that none of these things produce a lasting joy. The closest thing to joy, to bringing joy, was actually working, labor. And I'm getting close to a, an age where I could think about retirement, so I wasn't real happy to see that I have to keep working to be happy. <laughs> but, but no, we can retire, and we can still, there's a labor that we can do, we can put our hands to things. Booker T. Washington was a man who was born into slavery in Virginia, and he he lived in a little shack with his mom, and I think a couple of brothers, at a dirt floor. They literally slept on rags, a pile of rags on the dirt floor. And during his lifetime when he was young, the, the slaves were released. It was an Emancipation Proclamation, and they were freed. And he, he was working with his father in a salt mine, and he, he couldn't read. There was no education. He he started noticing uh, his him and his father would pack these salts in these bags, I guess, and and the foreman would write a number, the eighteen for the bags that they packed. And so he identified the number eighteen. And he got to where he could actually write it down. And he wanted when he go to the salt mines, he walked past children that were going to school. And I want to learn so bad how to read. He found somebody to teach him to read. And uh, this lady would read the Bible to him, taught him to read, and then to read the Bible. And he said he read it every day, not only for the, the moral guidance, but for the literature, the sheer literature of the Bible. The Bible is beautiful, especially you read the Psalms. The literature in the Bible and the language and it's a heavenly language because it was inspired by God. Booker T. Washington, he, later on, as he, he became, you know, a, a, uh, an academic, he founded the Tuskegee School, uh, I think it was in Alabama, and taught uh, the, the black race and helped them learn trades. Uh, when he was a slave and his family, Labor was was synonymous with uh, shame, basically. You're, only slaves labored if you're owned by somebody. Uh, the owner did other things, but the labor was something you looked down on. So he learned that and taught that there's no shame in labor. In fact, there's a dignity in labor and working with your hands. Uh, as he grew older... He, you know, he, he actually was an advisor to several presidents. He founded the school, uh, taught many people and went out into the communities and changed entire communities with the, with the, uh, simple basics of knowing how to, working with their hands, saving their money, uh, uh, learning how to build houses, make bricks. But he was very proud at one point when he said that his son, now, this is Booker T. Washington, who we all have heard his name, advisor to presidents, and he is proud that his son mastered the craft of making bricks. <laughs> so, there's nothing, there's no shame in working with our hands. In fact, he said that the, 
in his experience, the happiest people are those who took joy in their work. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that's a good lesson for us in our, as we labor mm-hmm. to find a way to take joy in our work and what we're doing. Um, mm-hmm. It's not always fun, but sometimes we, we should take labor in, or try to find a way to take joy in our labor. Yeah. So this study was done, and it was very, and it was very uh, costly. And uh, he came up with some, he came up with some uh, conclusions. And I'll read part of the studies. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. This is Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. During Solomon's time, silver and Jerusalem was as plentiful as stones. <laughs> there was a lot of wealth in Jerusalem. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart that became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired or refused my heart no pleasure my heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil, was his, was his labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. That is what the world is experiencing now. They're chasing everything. They've denied themselves nothing. Um, you know, they've tried every avenue to have joy. Solomon tried that out years, you know, thousands of years ago and uh, found that there's there's something very that these things don't give don't give joy. Solomon, you know, he was his net worth was estimated at two point one trillion dollars in today's dollar money, which is like one third of the annual budget of the U.S. government and. 2022. That's that was he had a lot of wealth. It was a, a, amazing. And then these are his conclusions. Uh, talking about Booker T. Washington, his Tuskegee Institute, where he taught the the young black men and women trades and how to uh, to run a home, run a farm, to construction, and all these things. He, he had a very rigid schedule. And they would start to get up at five in the morning and they, they had did everything so they would learn. I mean, they had book teaching, they had practical, they would work, they'd have labor that they would do. They would at building projects, 
they had teaching on uh, cleanliness, on you know, on hygiene, uh, and and they would have a stop, and they have a dinner bell, they'd have lunch, and then it was very strict, and then they go on to the next thing, the next, and it, and they didn't go to bed till nine thirty at night is when they, the last chore was done, and during that day, that strict schedule. He had. He took a period of time for them to read the daily news. And guess how much time he gave them? You know, we look at our phone now. It gives you a little, yeah. tells you a little bit how much screen time you know. You spent five hours on it or something. <laughs> he let them read the daily news for five minutes. Five minutes is all is all they had. That's all they needed. They learned stuff, learned trades, and they went to the communities, changed entire communities, and they were happy laborers. They were joyful. I think, sometimes I think that would be good for us to look at our phone and it says we've spent five minutes on our phone for a day. Uh, it could be depressing sometimes. I was listening to a Global Missions podcast Recently, uh, and it had Ken Wensley that was speaking on it. It was recently. Um, and he was reliving times during the move of the Spirit or the beginning of the outbreak of the move of the Spirit in North Battleford. And he was talking about it. hundreds of people came from all around the country and around the world, other countries, because they heard of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit and they wanted to experience it. And they were there and there was this anointing that was, was, just so beautiful on the on everyone and they just wanted to stay and bathe in that anointing then the anointing changed it changed from the anointing of feeling to to something else more of anointing i think the words he used an anointing of knowing of knowledge so when the anointing of feeling left many of these people left because they were there for the feeling they were just there for the feeling, so they so they left. And in my my words, the, the anointing of knowing, I relate that maybe to responsibility, being responsible for the things that God. So we have there there are God gives us blessings. There are times when He He gives us joy, where we're happy. It's easy to do something. And there are times when He wants us to walk by responsibility, by knowledge. God wants us to be mature. And we can't mature by always having something easy to do. God created us with many emotions. Uh, we, there are, there's joy, uh, but there's also sorrow. There's grief. There's anger. There's a lot of things that God created us and we, and we have those emotions. And it is normal to go through those emotions as long as we don't get stuck in one of them. The Midwest farmer said one time, said a simple explanation for happiness, three things you need. Something to do, someone to love, and something to look forward to. Pretty simple, three things, which I thought was fairly wise. There's a psychologist say there's two different types of experiences that are make life worth living. One of them is called called hedonic experiences are all about pleasure, seeing a beautiful sunrise, eating a chocolate cake like we had today. <laughs> uh, 
being in the presence of anointing, of a, of a heavy, beautiful anointing of the Holy Spirit. And then there's another type of experience that the psychologists say makes life worth living. The second kind is about a personal meaning or purpose or responsibility. Um, labor, working at something that something you feel a, a satisfaction that you've accomplished something. Those two things are important. And God offers both of these experiences. His rich anointing at times, and those times he expects us to walk faithfully and is by his the knowledge of the promises that he's given us. And his promises are true. We know that his promises are true. We don't have to doubt them. We don't have to worry if we're wasting our time. Because God promises are true. Three times in Solomon's second chapter writing, he says, My mind still guiding me with wisdom. Even all these things he's trying, some of them are pretty silly, but yet he says he still has wisdom while he's doing all these things that create no joy. And that makes me think that wisdom alone even doesn't bring us joy. God gives us wisdom, it's a gift, and it, but it's a, it's a responsibility too. He gives it to us and it's a responsibility. He gives us the choice or the wisdom to know what to do, uh, what the right thing is to do, but then we need to use it. I, in a practical example, I worked with a guy many years ago who had in this fab shop where we all gathered this beautiful toolbox. He bought this knack box. It was a six foot and it stood about five foot tall. And then he modified it and he put these, uh, uh like a craftsman toolbox and there's all these shiny wrenches. And, uh, oh, it was a, it was a beautiful thing to behold. But he never used them. So at break time, he'd open the, open the lid of his toolbox and he'd stand in front of it and drink a coffee so everybody could see him with these beautiful tools, but he never used his tool. When God gives us something like wisdom and knowledge, that in it isn't an end in itself. It's, it's a tool for us to use. And God, for us to have contentment, God wants us to give to, to use what he gives us. And another thing I love, and a wonderful God is so wise, is he just gives us a little bit at a time, doesn't he? He doesn't, just like Israel, he said he wasn't going to give them the promised land all at once. They weren't going to drive the, you know, their enemies out all at once, because they said then, if you're not able to occupy it, then it's going to be overrun by beasts and uh, and be overrun. So he said, little at a time, as you're able to occupy it, then I will I will chase out the occupants, and you can take it little at a time. And that's what God does for us individually, as we our lives grow. He gives us just a little more and a little more. And I'm so thankful for God's wisdom. So Solomon, the wisest man in the world, before and after, uh, I mean, he's the one who built the temple, and, and he um, dedicated the temple. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13, he's, he, he gives the 
final conclusion. So, no, all has been all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. So after all his searching for joy and contentment, that's what he came up with, is to fear God and to keep his commandments. Amen. The world looks, a lot of the world, I think, looks at Christianity as foolish because we we limit ourselves to experiences maybe um, we believe certain things we're a little bit rigid in what we believe they think we're missing out on on missing out on something experiences we're not missing a thing Amen. Amen. we're not missing a thing god created man to have communion with him to uh, to love and to worship, we we are created as a, a creature to worship that is that wants to worship. In fact, we even those who who are seemingly seemingly lost in the world it seem like they want to worship something, don't they? A, a sports figure or something. Yeah. But man has been created to want to worship. And we worship God. We worship the, the one living God and the creator of all things. And then I want to talk about a couple of other topics. And part of this being obedience to God. One of them is forgiveness. Matthew 6, 8th verse. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray that our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So there's a qualification. And I thought salvation was free. <laughs> I mean, I have to do something? I have, there's an actual act that we have to do. And, and I've noticed through the scriptures that God in his sovereignty, he can do many things. But there are many Meaningful, lasting things of God that He requires man's action. Mm-hmm. Even, even if it's simple, He wants you to pray for this to happen. You pray and then God does the rest. But nevertheless, it requires an act on man, the man's part. God expects us to forgive. God gives us difficult things and He gives us some easy things. And he doesn't expect us to always pick the easy things. I remember our mom used to make one of our, one of my favorite dishes. It was baked beans with these sausage franks on the top. And the sausage franks were my favorite. So I just want to pick them off the top. But the rule was whatever franks you picked up, you had to eat the beans underneath it. <laughs> And so that limited how many. Anyway, God doesn't expect us to just eat the franks off the top. He wants us to take the beans underneath it too. We take the difficult with the easy. 
Every man and woman has three basic things shaping their lives. Your, your birth, your, your genetics, your experience or your nurture, and your choice. We all have a free will. Christians are born twice. The second birth was by choice. This Christian now has a lifetime of experience, exposure to joys, sorrows, hurts, and grief. The Christian throughout his lifetime has the opportunity of choice to decide how to react to situations, choice to grow spiritually or, or to stagnate, choice to forgive or resent, choice to worship his God. Out of these basic three, birth, experience, choice, choice is what makes us grow. This is what gives us, makes growth possible. Choosing to take the beans at the bottom of the, of the casserole plate. Jesus said to forgive, but it is not natural or easy to forgive someone who has hurt you, maybe repeatedly. But it is a command if we want God's forgiveness for us. In Matthew 18, a parable of the unforgiven, unforgiving servant. The 21st verse, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said, no, not up to seven times, but up to seven times seventy. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him his debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. But he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? His master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also would do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So it's not easy to forgive sometimes, but it wasn't easy it wasn't an easy thing for Jesus. When Jesus forgave us, it wasn't just some nice sweet words and a softening of his heart, but Jesus paid the price for every sin. Uh, and we can't imagine that. But he paid the full price. Um, Jesus paid the full price for every sin. In the days of Rome, the laws demanded certain punishment for certain crimes. Before Jesus left the earth, he made sure he received punishment for every imaginable crime. He was severely beaten, mocked, spit on, humiliated, and crucified. God, his Father, has certain punishment for sin. Some describe hell as complete separation from God, and if that is so, then Jesus experienced that. 
Because Jesus accepted the guilt of millions of mankind, God had to turn his back on him for, for a while. We can't imagine the torment of Jesus, how he, he didn't have the, he didn't really have the resemblance of a man at, the, at some point. He'd been so badly beaten, and I don't think it was just only the physical torture that caused him the, the the vision of him being so poor, it was the fact that he was for a moment, he was the most sinful man on earth because he took it to the cross and then he died, he died with it. The violent torment of the choice of Jesus to take all this on his back caused a r- remarkable shakeup of the natural order. The foundations of the earth were shaken. It became dark at noon for three hours. The veil in the temple was split. The graves were open. And the resurrection, resurrection of the saints were seen walking in the city. It was thinking of some of the great events in creation that changed the natural order. There was the flood, of course. The flood... Uh, some say, you know, before there was no mention of seasons before the flood. And then, and then afterwards, there was, there were seasons. They started talking about seasons. So there, there's thought that the violent, the Lord breaking up the fountains of the deep and all that had happened caused the earth to tip on its axis. There was a great changing of the shaking of the, of the earth. And this is another time when, when things completely changed. There's a secular writer, uh, Flagan, wrote in 137 A.D. about this event. And again, he was secular, just, just writing history. He says, even more conclusive non-biblical evidence comes from Flagan, who wrote an extensive chronology around the year 137 A.D. In his writing, he confirms the year of the crucifixion darkness and records that an earthquake took place. In his writing, quote, in the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, 33 AD, there was the greatest eclipse of the sun. So he called it an eclipse, but what's interesting is an eclipse never lasts for more than seven minutes. This was three hours of darkness starting at noon. And then it became night in the sixth hour of the day, which is noon, so the stars even appeared in the heavens. So it wasn't a storm cloud that covered the sun. You could see stars. <clears throat> there was a great earthquake in, Bithin- in, in Bith- Bithynia, and many things were overturned in the sea. The Things, everything had changed from that moment. The veil was rent. The earth was shaken. The sky, uh, the sun was blocked for a while. There was, uh, there was going to, things were going to be changed. Things were going to be different from then on. That was one of the, Andy was talking, uh, we were talking earlier about how God had changed some things so you know men used to live 900 years and then God said he's gonna now you're going to live 120 years that it was like one generation went down to 120 years old 
And then he made another proclamation. They're only going to live to be about 70 years old. And about a generation had dropped down again. God has made some drastic changes in the history of the earth and creation of man. And this is one of the most momentous ones is when Jesus was crucified. Crucified and then when he was risen. The natural <coughs> order, everything had changed. All the rules had changed. It was not this would never be the same again. It was a high price that Jesus paid to forgive me. Mm-hmm. And I must remember that when I'm thinking trying to decide if I want to if I want to forgive someone else. I have to think about that. Um, when the sun was darkened, this is an example of the love of God for us. And we want to, it's hard to forgive someone who's been, been hard on us. <laughs> Attacking us, especially if they've been hard on our family, you know. You know, fathers, they want to protect their children. Mothers want to protect their children, right? God, uh, a loving father, I'm guessing he's, he's kind of like us men and the women. His only begotten son he sent to earth because of his love for man. And we treated him so poorly. And we beat him. And then he had to go to the cross because of us, because of because of our sins. And I wonder if part of the reason the sun was blocked, God had to turn his his back on humanity for just a minute. He was, but yet God loved us so much, and His forgiveness is so strong. The sun came back out. And what did Jesus say that he was going was going to come after his he left the earth? So God is the one that was grieved. Jesus is the one that was tortured. But he sent us the comforter. <laughs> sent us. We're the ones that that were the, the reason for this, but he sent us the comforter, the Holy Spirit. That is a that is just a little example of the tremendous love that God has for us. Forgiveness is one of those difficult choices that we need to do for growth. We can stay where we are and and not do that, or if we want to grow, that's one of those difficult choices. I listened to a a podcast. There's this Navy SEAL, and he he's also a uh, jujitsu guy, you know, and a weightlifter, and trains hard and. And a lot of his talks are about motivation and nutrition and working out. And, and he said sometimes when he's really lifting heavy weights and several sets, he said he gets to where he's he's to a point where he thinks, you know what, this next set's going to be so painful. Maybe maybe I'll just be happy staying weak. <laughs> sometimes I I wonder, you know, when God gives me the next test. Maybe I should just be content and just stay weak, you know. <laughs> That's going to be a kind of a tough one there. But God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us, he wants us to move on. He doesn't want us to give up. My, my son Joel, who's in the Marine Corps, he, we're out hiking one time and we're climbing the hill. And he said, Dad, this is how the Marines take a hill. And he ran up the hill and it was yelled, yeah, all the way up the hill. <laughs> 
Sometimes that's how I feel when I'm trying to do the things God wants me to do. If he wants me to forgive someone or he wants me to love someone that's difficult, it's like, eh, I'm really trying, you know, but it's, it's not always easy. God doesn't intend for it to be easy that, or there would be no growth. We need to love. God wants another one of Jesus' commandments is love. Matthew five forty three, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy, bless those who curse you, the good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. When I became a grandfather, I remember telling my family and even people at work, man, I wish I could make a living just being a grandpa. <laughs> I was so good at it. <laughs> I was really, really good at it. I mean, I, I love my grandkids. I still do, of course, but it was so easy. Why can't I just make a living doing this? I, I've got to get some brownie points from God because I'm really good at this. But you know what? That wasn't a test. God, my grandchildren were not a test to see if Brandon can love someone. They were a reward. <laughs> That's right. That was a reward. That was a gift that God gave me, not a test. Now, some of my co-workers are a test. <laughs> Sometimes I can picture them with duct tape on over their mouth. <laughs> there are times when I want to throw a stick and see if they'll go run after it. <laughs> but that, those are, that's the test. God wants me to love them. And God wants us to love Andy has talked about this in the past and talked about loving the unlovely. Some people are more difficult. Um, my my children, in my eyes, and I realize I have to say that, but they are perfect. My boys and my grandkids, in my eyes, they're as perfect, as perfect as you can get. It may not be in someone else's eyes. I can't imagine that, but it may not be. <laughs> but I want and expect everybody to love my kids and my grandkids. And if they don't, my heart is grieved. Yeah. God loves us. He loves the unlovely. There's a mother and a father out there that think that unlovely person is perfect. <laughs> the guy at work with the duct tape on his face. He's perfect in somebody's <laughs> eyes. And, and God loves him just as much as he loves me. Mm-hmm. And he expects me, he wants me to love him too. He wants me to love him and show him respect and be, and be kind. Um, that's just how, how God is. And here's one of the choices that we have. Um, Again, back to you know, Jesus 
when he was on the cross, the things that, that the reason that he was on the cross was because of us. And God loved us so much that he knew the brutality that would happen to his only begotten son. Jesus knew. And God went through with his plan. And God loved us after we had brutally beaten and treated his son and put him on the cross. And then he, he sent the comforter to us afterwards. There's a, it's difficult for some people. There's a phrase that my son uses, says you fake it till you make it. <laughs> uh, sometimes when we have somebody difficult in our lives, we need to start out by showing an outward kindness to them. Uh, maybe you don't feel like it, <laughs> but you do. You go through the motions and outward kindness, uh, outward expression of kindness and we pray for that person until, and to love that person until you, you start feeling it in your heart and then you can start loving them more. And, uh, and that causes us to spend a lot of time on our knees to ask God to help us with that, help us soften our heart. There have been times when I prayed and prayed, God change that person's heart. Yeah. And then I realized I need to start Change, uh, praying for God to change my heart, to change me. <laughs> I, I'm the one that needs to, to change many times. And then, uh, and God will do these things. Mm-hmm. He will give us the tools and give us the things that we need to give us the grace. So those are the things. If we want contentment in our lives, we're going to have days that are Times when we are, have, we feel the anointing in our lives and, uh, when we are joyful, looking out of the sunshine, and then there's going to be days when it's going to be cloudy. Yeah. But in all these moments, God is there and He never gets any further away. He's always there, just mm-hmm. as close. God has started something and He's going, and He's going to finish it. Yes. The church is the church. And what's the last line to that? Uh, but the very last line. Uh, the church triumphant is alive and well. Alive and well, yes. Yep. Yep. The church will be the church. And we are we are the church. Uh, not this building, but this. Um, it's, such, it's so beautiful how we are all so different. God, in his wisdom, and in some ways, I still think God has a sense of humor. <laughs> uh, I am married to a beautiful lady who needs, she's sensitive to the light in the evening. She's got to turn off the lights. I'm practically blind. I, I follow her and turn them all back on. <clears throat> and... Bless her heart. She she has to sleep with here with the I at night. She has to put earplugs in, and I take my hearing aids out, and then we can both sleep. <laughs> but but God put such a mix of us of people and different abilities and different gifts. Yeah. Uh, through throughout my 
my life, I, I admire my brothers. You know, I got three brothers and I admire all of them. They're all, they all have different strengths. They, and uh, I think, I wish I could do this like Randy. I wish I could do this like Andy or like Brad, you know, and the other brethren in the church. I wish I could play a, a keyboard like Sue or Brian or somebody, you know. And, um, I can't do those things, but there's one thing I'm really good at is, is being branded. <laughs> I'm really good at it. Just like being a grandpa, I just really, I'm really good at that. I'm a, I'm a natural. I just love my grandkids. But <clears throat> you are, you are keenly gifted at being who you are. Yes. You know? Amen. God doesn't want you to be anybody else. He yeah. wants you to be because he's got a special place to that gift mm-hmm. that he's given you is uh and it's beautiful how he meshes us together yeah. um into a body that we, we we it wouldn't work if we we're all alike uh, for one thing you know we'd all be telling the same jokes andy andy's funny because he's got jokes that we haven't heard yet <laughs> if we're all like Andy, we would heard the joke already. <laughs> I'm I'm straying off and getting silly now. I'm sorry, but God is wonderful in His wisdom, uh, and what a blessing it is to to know Him and to be called in this way. And it's humbling, and what a and what a blessing it is. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.